Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. Good to be in God's house with God's people. uh, My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I was just reminded last week there was a tremendous outpouring of the the Holy Spirit during during the altar call, and there was a, a, a new lady that come, that walked up, <laughs> and as she walked up, she was waiting in line, and when she finally came up, she started crying. I said, why are you crying? Are you, are you okay? Why are you up here? She said, I don't know why I'm here. I just, I just, I, there's something I'm feeling. I said, this. she said, are you the guy who was leading worship? I said, yeah, yeah, it was me. I started when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave her life to Jesus, and, and um, she was actually from Singapore. She was leaving. She was visiting. She, God just drew her to the church. She got saved and, and went on. So God is good, amen? And that's our prayer that, that uh, you know, we wouldn't just be going through a religious experience, that we would sense and, and feel the presence of God in this place, amen? And so we are in a series that we've been calling, He Shall Be Called. He Shall Be Called. And as you can tell from the video, it's based on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of course, the prophet Isaiah was the one who penned that, but he got his inspiration from the Holy Spirit when he saw and declared some 700 years plus uh, before, prior to Jesus coming on the scene, he penned the, the names and the prophetic uh, names that, that Jesus would have. And I think that represents the perfect Christmas gift, uh, sharing Jesus. Now, I don't care if you have the best Christmas ever in terms of material things in this world. How many of you know that nothing you receive is going to compare to the gift that God gave every single one of us? Amen? Through his son, Jesus Christ. So last week, we touched on the name Wonderful Counselor. And we read that, that we serve a risen Savior who, who, who wants to, 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 to inform us and to counsel us through, through this life and to give us the direction that we need if we would listen to him. In Psalm 32, 7, it says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. That's God speaking to his people that he will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye. Folks, listen, we need, uh, Jesus is better than a GPS. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit is better than, if we would get to the place where we would tune in to the good shepherd, he says, my sheep know my voice and they listen. He will start to guide you into the places where you need to be. Uh, David saw this, uh, King David, when he penned in Psalms 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley, uh, the, the darkest valley, one translation says the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I won't fear any evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, and they comfort me. 
And so David was on to something. He knew that God knows where all the green pastures and still waters are located. He knows how to counsel and protect everyone who will just follow him. Amen? If we would just get on the same page as him. He's not only David's good shepherd, he's your good shepherd, and he's my good shepherd. Now, now um, that was last week, and this week we, we are t- talking about his second name that, that Isaiah saw, and he saw him as the mighty God, the mighty God. Now, before we jump into that, let's first set the scene again. When Isaiah penned this, things had gone extremely spiritually dark during his time, during that, during that time. Isaiah 1, 2 gives us a hint as to why. He says in Isaiah 1, verse 1, he says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This is what he saw. He says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Listen. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. That was the word of the Lord. Now, how many of us have felt the sting of that happening in our own lives? Those children, where you were there at their birth, you saw them come out, they, they, you know, mom you know, suckled them, you, you, you protected them, you fed them, but only as they got older, they started to... Uh, Rebel against the things that you've taught them. This is the scenario that, that uh, the prophet is painting that the word of the Lord is coming. They turn against everything you stand for. Now, Israel was God's chosen people. And they rebelled against the things that he was saying. And now it's one thing to rebel against your earthly parents. Your earthly parents have limits but there are consequences, but it's limited. How many know it's an entirely different ball game to rebel against God? Come on, somebody. Somebody wrote a play years ago. He says, your arms and my arms are too short to box with God. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a difficult time if we get into a battle with our Heavenly Father. And oftentimes, it, it, what, uh, what God will do when we take a rebellious stance against him, he's not going to fight with you. That's, that's not going to be a, you know, there's no fight with, fighting with God along those lines. What he does is he just pulls back. And what, what that means is when he pulls back, he pulls back his protective hand over you. And as a result, when that hand pulls back, a great spiritual darkness had come over the land, much like what we see happening in our nation today. Because they've rejected God in schools, they've rejected God in much of government, they've rejected God on, on the airways. And so consequently, when you pull back from God and, and God allows that to happen, something has to fill the gap. Come on, somebody. And usually it's some kind of foolishness. You guys know who Kurt Cameron is? Kurt Cameron, he was on, what was that show back in the day? Growing pains or something like that, but he's a he's a he's a devout Christian now, and he's constantly talking about Jesus. Well, he wrote a Christian book for children, and in writing that book uh, on the gifts of the Spirit—love, joy, peace, patience—how to grow up uh, along those lines—and then he called. He said 50 uh, public school libraries so that he can do a reading, a public reading at these schools to, to plan it. 50 of them rejected him. They said they said no, you can't come. He says why? because your values don't align with ours. And he says, what do you mean? Well, with the LGBT, QRST, whatever they call themselves these days, with their values. And so 
they, can, they have transvestites and that sort of stuff reading books to children, but he can't read a book to children about, about uh, morality and God and, and love. He says, since when does love not line up with even loving people uh, you know, who are sinning? But they, they flat out rejected him. That is the culture that we're in. And when you, step, when you reject God, something else has to fill that void. And it's usually wickedness and evil in all sorts of cases. In, in, in today's cases, they, can't, they, they teach lies. They don't even know basic biology. They can't even tell whether they're men or women. And so even so, God's love and desire to care for us, how many know that never changes? My Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. And because he loved his people way too much to, 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 to have them remain in darkness, he gives Isaiah a vision, a vision 700 years prior to it happening. God was going to send a great light into the world as a solution to the world's problems. Isaiah 9.2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, is a light, a light has dawned. Well, how many know that light that Isaiah saw was the light of Jesus Christ? Amen? And Isaiah would highlight God's mighty power, and he would put them on full display. And I want everyone should have an outline. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. But I'm going to ask you to follow along because his mighty power could be seen in, in a couple of four places. And I want you to write this down. His mighty power could be seen in the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14, again, this is what he saw. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he shall be called, help me out somebody, Emmanuel. Where are my Bible scholars out there? What does Emmanuel mean? It literally means God is with us. God is with us. And wasn't it the apostle Paul who said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31? He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us, help me somebody, all things. Come on, somebody. Stop believing the lie that you are facing or whatever you're facing in this world, you're facing by yourself. I got a text that almost broke my heart. It was a young person who used to come here. She, she's older now. She's kind of drifted. She said, Pastor Rick, she says, I've got, I'm having so, so many problems in, in emotionally and all this other stuff. I, I, I want to know, I, I, she says, I, God is mad at me. I said, why do you say God's mad at you? And she started listing all these things going on. And my heart broke for her because I'm like, let, let me tell you something. Why would God send his son to die for you <laughs> and to give up his life for you if he was mad at you? Come on, somebody. Why would God do all that? And that's basically what he's saying in this text. He, he's saying, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how, how would he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let that sink in. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against this? God was willing to allow his one and only son to be sacrificed so that you, cannot, you and I can be in relationship with him. How will he not also give us all, everything else we, we need? Amen? 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 
And so secondly, his, his, his mighty power, first it's seen in his, in his birth, but it's also seen in the ministry of Jesus, in his ministry. Write that down. Listen to what Isaiah said about him. And then I want you to listen to what Jesus said about himself when he grew up. In Isaiah chapter 61, remember this is 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, again, guess who identified himself with that verse? His name is Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Remember, the Scripture says he had just been tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. But he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit, it says the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, Folks, Jesus customarily went to church. Let that sink in. As was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. uh, Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, understand what's happening here. Even today in in, in, uh, Jewish traditions and even in Messianic Jewish churches, they have a scroll of the scriptures at the front of their church. And back in those days, when it came time for the public reading of whatever the scripture was, they would hand it to the reader, and they would open that scroll, and and that's what Jesus did. When it was handed to him, he found the place where it was written. He he went to uh, Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now watch this, and then he rolled back up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying this to them. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. In other words, the very thing that Isaiah saw 700 years before, he says, today is being fulfilled in your presence. Now let's see if that's true. When John the Baptist was imprisoned and began to have doubts about who Jesus was, the Bible says he sent a messenger to Jesus to inquire. Well, let's just read the text in Luke chapter 7. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Now, the, Lord, the, the scripture sets the stage. Jesus is heading back, and as he's heading back with his group, he sees a funeral procession. They're walking down the street. A young man had passed away, and the scripture gives detail. The young man had died. She, he was the son of a widow, which means that, the, that her husband had died, and, she, and he was her only son, Okay. Now, that just passes us by because we are living in a society where we have safeguards for issues like that. Back in those days, they didn't have social security. They didn't have, you know, financial aid along those lines. 
if you were a widow, uh, 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 became a widow, first of all, she depended on her husband. He died. Then, then the, your second line of defense was your children. She only had one, and now she's walking down the funeral. He's dead. She was also in trouble. Her, her son was dead. Her husband was dead. She was also in trouble. Now, it says, it was coming as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow, only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. How many know that God cares about us? Amen? And he turned to her and he said, don't cry, he said. He walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Come on, somebody. Now watch this. Now, if I had seen this, I'd have, I'd have reacted the same way the next one. It says, great fear swept the crowd. Because it's not every day that a dead person gets up. Especially in a funeral. Can you imagine? We're a poop. Poop. But it says, they praise God, saying a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Verse 18, the disciples of John the Baptist told him about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John at this time is in prison because he spoke truth to power about what Herod and his people were doing, being wrong, being marrying the brother of his wife and all this other stuff, and he ended up in prison. And so now he was considered the forerunner, but he's in jail, and his time on earth is short. He wants to know, are you the one? John's two disciples found Jesus, said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And at that very time, Jesus was doing what? He cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Come on, somebody. Pretty much a direct quote that was found in Isaiah and exactly what his ministry would look like with the power of God in, on full display. Jesus said, look, don't, don't just go by what I'm telling you. <laughs> the blind are seen, the crippled are walking, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. He healed those with leprosy and various ailments. He even raised the dead. Now, I love the fact that the scripture, if you look at the, in the New Testament, you find that he doesn't throw stones at anybody in terms of their sin in their life to the woman caught in adultery. He, he didn't throw stones on her. He was, he was the one who spared her life. Remember, he says, let those who without sin cast the first stone. Remember that? And, and everybody left. But there was one person there without sin, and he could have cast the stone. It was Jesus. And he said, did anyone condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. To the woman at the well who came there in the heat of the day because she had five husbands and the one she was with wasn't her husband. He didn't judge her. He became her living water. Amen. To the crooked tax collector Zacchaeus, he, was a new, he gave him a new lease on life. And to all those who were demon-possessed, listen, anybody who was demon-possessed, when they came in Jesus' presence, they were set free completely. Like the man who had the legion of demons, 
he was delivered and set free by the mighty power of God. Now listen to me. Is God still in the miracle working business today? I promise you he is. He is still doing miracles today. I've seen lives restored. I've seen hearts healed. I've seen people who were tormented by demons set free. I've seen miraculous healings when God showed up and miraculous provisions that you can only attribute to God. God showed up. He's an on-time God, amen? amen? Now, I've seen all this, and my Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. Well, what he did for them, what he did for me, he will also do for you. The Bible says even the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years in her condition, totally exhausted of finances, ripped off by all the doctors, and she heard that Jesus was coming, and she didn't just stand around. No, she said, I got to get to Jesus. And she pressed into that crowd, and the scripture says, and she reached in, and she grabbed the hem of his garment, and in that moment, the power flowed from Jesus, and she, she realized that, that, that when she was 12 years in that condition, she was instantly healed. Now, the funny part about that story is there's this big old crowd, and, and this happens, and Jesus stops. And he turns around and says, who touched me? Who touched me? And, and, and the disciples looked at him like he, like he was crazy. Lord, we're in a big old crowd. How could you ask who touched me? He said, no, no, this was a different touch. Somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. I heard a preacher say one time, listen, you can go from a nobody, but the moment you meet Jesus, you become a somebody. Come on, somebody. And he said, no, somebody touched me. And she was so afraid. She finally, she, he stopped, he looked around, she threw herself on the ground, and she was afraid because she had this issue of blood which was considered unclean. And I was over in Israel. Rabbis, they walk around with these things on. You're not allowed to touch them. If you touch them, you could get stoned. So she had literally taken her life in her hands. She fell on the ground. She said, it was me. I did it. And he said, daughter, <laughs> you, you, know, you have been made whole. Your faith has made you whole. He made her. He didn't just call her somebody. He says, you are, you are my daughter. And so all this power is being displayed through Jesus. Even the paralytic who couldn't get to Jesus himself, his friends brought him to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He's laying there. He cannot walk. They, they, they lower him through the ceiling. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now the people are looking around and says, who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, reading their thoughts, he says, you, you think that's difficult? What's more, what's more difficult for me, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your pallet and walk? So that you can see that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he turns to the guy, he says, take up your pallet and walk. And in front of everybody, the man takes up his pallet and walks. I'm talking about the mighty power of God, somebody. I'm talking about God, God's power on full display for everyone to see. Listen to me. His ministry, his, his, his birth displays his power, and absolutely everything about his ministry shows us the mighty power of God. Now, let me give you the third thing, the third area, and this is for you. The third area that shows his mighty power is in his invitation, in his invitation. The prophet Isaiah saw it again, and this is what he said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. He says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
come to the waters. Now, why is that significant? Because Jesus said something similar in John chapter 7, verse 37. He says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, listen, listen, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's a great name for a church. I'm just saying that, living water. Now, let me tell you something. Besides air, water is the most basic need of every man, of all mankind. You can go 40 days without food. Three days without water, you're done. Now, why? The reason being, well, they say that the earth is full of, it's about 70% of the, the planet is full, is, is water. Guess what? 70% of your body is water. Look at this chart. 95% of your eyes, water. 75% of your heart, water. 94% of your blood, water. 83% of your kidneys, water. 83% of your brain, 85% of your lungs, and 75% of your muscles. So if you remove water from, from our body, listen, no water, no life. No water, no life. And, and, and so Jesus says, every, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me. He's the living water, and everybody gets thirsty, and Jesus is the only person who can quench our spiritual thirst. He's the only person. That's why he said, whoever thirsts, come to me and drink. What a mighty invitation. In other, in other words, everyone gets thirsty. And so this invitation goes out to everybody on the planet. Everyone who's ever lived in the 7 billion people on the planet and those who've been here since he, he's come and those who will be here after. The, 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 the invitation goes out. So Jesus tells the story in Luke to illustrate how strong of an invitation uh, that, that he is sending out to everyone. He tells the story in Luke chapter 14. He says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it would be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. The scripture says God is going to hold a holy banquet one day for all those that, that have said yes to him. He says, that, but Jesus replied with this story. Watch. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come to the banquet, it, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And so the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and invite the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for, for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and, and urge everyone, anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get, even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, what is Jesus saying? He was saying, listen, the invitation went out to everyone, but not everyone was receiving it. Some of them were religious, and many of them had all these excuses as to why they aren't coming. And for, for many of them, they were, they were distracted or they were just too busy. Now, I've often said this. If you are too busy for God, you are just too busy. You are just too busy. Because that invitation goes out to every single one of us. God has prepared a table, and he wants you to be at his banquet hall with him. Now, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. 
Many are called, but few are chosen. And in my mind, I figured out the difference between the called and the chosen. Because the call goes out to everyone, but the chosen are the ones who answer the call. Who answer the call. It'll be like, you know, if I need help to, to, to do something at the church and I put a call out to several people and I'm getting busy singers, but the, first, the person who finally picks up the phone, okay, you're the one that I need. You're the one that I need. Many are called, the scripture says, but only few are chosen. What about you? What about you? Are you answering the call that God has on your life? Pastor Rick, I didn't know I had a call. You do. It's a great invitation that's gone out to every single one of us. Whoever is thirsty, let them come and drink. His greatest power is on display in that invitation to every single one of us. Let me give you the fourth and final demonstration of his, of his power. And it is in his selfless sacrifice. Because in that selfless sacrifice, it represents the greatest gift of all. Friends, I hate to break it to you. No, I don't. Jesus is the reason for the season. It's not about Santa Claus or the elf on the shelf or how many gifts you get. <laughs> I saw a meme earlier. And it was so funny, they were asking one of his basketball coaches, what do you think about the royal family? And, and all the news coming out about that. He said, you mean, you mean Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? He said, as far as he's concerned, that's the only royal family that matters to him. What do you think about the royal family? Not only did Isaiah see his birth, but he also saw his death. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, 700 years before, this is what he penned. You tell me who he's talking about. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him, on Jesus The sins of us all. Matter of fact, when Joseph, and I'm, I'll mention this in the Christmas service, when Joseph was going, to, found out that his wife had been pregnant or his betrothed, he was going to put her away silently because he didn't want anything bad to happen to her. And he got a visitation from the angel, and the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because this that's within her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus, watch this, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus or Yeshua means Savior. And that's what Jesus came to do, my friends. John 3.16 says this, for this is how God loved the world. Watch this. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save 
the world through him. I'm talking about the greatest gift of all. I'm talking about the selfless sacrifice of the Son of God. Three things that are needed if you're going to have God's mighty power operating in your life and on full display in your life. You need faith. Write this down. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Listen to me. You're not going to come to a, 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 and put your faith in someone who you don't believe is there. And so the Bible says you need faith to trust God. No one has seen God, but you've got to put your faith in the fact that he's there. And the Bible says, uh, has a lot to say to those who would turn around and say, you know, there is no God. There is nothing out there. Listen to what, the, uh, what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Not my words. Don't shoot the messenger. This is what he penned concerning what's going on in a godless society who refuses to acknowledge the light of Jesus Christ. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. Watch this. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. In other words, the Bible says that God put in creation itself enough uh, proof to prove to start your journey in in searching for him. To, To look at creation and then determine that there is no God is like looking at this building and saying it built itself. I don't know who built it, but I can look at obvious design and say, someone built it. Look at the pews. I wasn't here when these pews came in. They came in way before I got here. I don't know who built it, but I'm not going to be so foolish to look at them and say, oh, it built itself. Your car is obvious design, did not build itself. A painting has a painter. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says, the world and the qualities and goodness of God, listen to me, they tell me that if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. And if we were any further away, we'd freeze. God put the sun in the sky and put the earth just perfectly to to sustain life. He gave us air to breathe. He gave us clean water. And he says, "If if you look at obvious creation and, and determine that the, it just created itself. The scripture says you're foolish. You're foolish. There's a, there, and he says now you're without excuse. Even if you've never heard the name of Jesus, you have enough in just what you see to, to start your search. Verse 21, he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Now, you tell me if this is not going on in our society today. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds 
and animals and reptiles. And don't say, oh, we don't worship idols over here. No, we, we got a whole show called idols. Come on, somebody. We worship people. We worship position. We worship money. Anything but God. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile, not my words, don't shoot the messenger. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God pulled back, abandoned them. He, he pulls back to their shameful lust. You, you want it, you have it. And, and shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. Verse 28. And since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers and haters of God and insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, their promises are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse, they encourage others to do them too. Folks, if that doesn't describe what's going on in this world, this was penned 2,000 years ago. And he's describing exactly when you reject God in the light of who he is, he says God gives them over. You want, you want the, uh, to, to be degraded? You want shame? You want all that stuff, perversion? Have your fill of it. That's what he says. Now watch this. So we need faith. We need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to put our trust in what God has done to demonstrate his love for every single one of us. We need faith. We need humility. Write that down. James 4, 8 says, and 10 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and grief, deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Who is, whose responsibility is to humble yourself? It says yours. It's not the pastor's. It's not, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And, and you need that humility to acknowledge that you, that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. And the Bible says, well, Pastor, I'm not a sinner. No, the Bible says the person who says they don't, haven't sinned is a liar and the truth, not, the truth is not in him. All have sinned. No one has done right all the time. You, you haven't always honored your parents. You haven't always put God first. You haven't always told the truth. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages, the Bible says, of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? 
And so the third thing we need, first we need faith, then we need humility, and then we need to establish a repentant heart. A repentant heart. Psalms 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart or a broken and a contrite heart. The Bible says that as you draw near to God, God draws near to you. But if you position yourself as I'm not needing God and a hard heart, the Bible says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He said that God stays at a distance. It's not that he, he, he can't. He's not going to overwhelm your will. You have to start humbling yourself and saying, I want God in my life. Repent means to change directions. If I was following sin and self and doing my own thing, repent means, okay, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to follow that anymore. I'm going to turn to the light of the gospel that's been shining. God has sent forth his son, and I'm going to turn to him, and I'm going to start walking in the grace of God that he's provided. Not, be, not because we're perfect, but we are perfectly loved by the Father. And the moment I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, my Bible says if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Listen. Come on, God is good. Amen? Amen? God is good. He's the mighty God. His power can be demonstrated and seen in the birth of Jesus. His power can be seen in the ministry of Jesus, the blind eyes, opening deaf ears. Even, with, even when uh, uh, John the Baptist started to question, uh, are you the one or should we look for another? He said, John, tell, go back and tell John. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The gospel is preached to the poor, and I'm proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. If you can't believe me based on, on who I say I am, believe me based on the work that I'm doing. These were all signs for all of humanity to point to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. It's seen in his invitation. It goes out to every single one of us. For, for everyone who is thirsty, let them come and drink. And folks, everyone gets thirsty. And we all need Jesus. And lastly, it's seen in his selfless sacrifice uh, on the cross. From the cradle to the grave, Isaiah saw it all, prophesied, and he called him the, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. God is good. Amen? But you and I have to come to that place. Like I said last week, he has no grandchildren. So, and I say that because I, maybe I didn't explain it well last week. Because some of us think, oh, because my mama prayed, or my daddy prayed, or they went to church, that somehow you're going to be grandfathered in. That's what Jesus told, told the, the, uh, the Pharisees. They said, well, don't say you're children of Abraham. Just because you're children of Abraham, God could raise up children from Abraham out of these very rocks. He says, no, you have to come to that place individually where you acknowledge that you need a Savior and that Jesus, Yeshua, didn't just come to save the sins of the world. He did that, but he came to save you from your sins. And what I mean by save you from your sins, from the consequences of your sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, the wages, what we deserve, the Bible says is death, not just a physical death. Everybody dies physically. It talks about a spiritual death, eternal separation from the Father. 
He says, but the free gift, it literally uses the word gift. That's why I say it's the greatest gift you'll ever have. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God offers this gift to every single one of us. And just because it's out there doesn't mean it's yours. You have to take it and you have to apply it to your own life and to your own heart. And what's the most appropriate thing to do when someone offers you a gift? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Don't whip out your wallet how much this has cost. You can't pay for this gift. You don't have enough money to pay for this gift. If you have to pay for it, it's not a gift. Those of you who are thinking that you're going to get to heaven by your works and by your good works, the Bible says it's by grace you've been saved through faith, through faith, and this not of yourself, not as a, not as a result of works, so that no man will boast. In other words, when you get to heaven, you are not going to say, God, you're lucky to have me. I did X, Y, and Z. Your works are not going to get you there. It's only through grace, humility, and a repentant heart, turning away from sin and turning to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of the service this morning, it's by my privilege and my honor, if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, if you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to pass today that you'd be in the presence of God, the Bible says God wants you to know and you would like to know that you have eternal life, it's as simple as turning to him, believing that he is, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, humbling yourself, and offering him a repentant heart, a broken and contrite heart. He says, I will not despise. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and he will lift you up in due time. Does that make sense? So, decision time. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you one of the ones who, when the invitation goes out, you got nothing but excuses? One day when I'm older, one day when I have time, I'll, I'll make time for you. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Your life could be over today. That's why he says today, if you hear his voice. And don't assume, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it next week. You don't know. This might be your last opportunity. That happened one time. Remember? A young couple came to our church. Beautiful couple. Dreads. He was just... Came to our church. Got saved. He asked to be baptized. He joined the church. I think it was February. He, he, he came to the church. He asked to be baptized in March. He joined, the, he came to our backstage pass in April, all right? I sat down with him. I said, why are you, what made you come to this church? He says, Pastor, he's from the islands. He says, I've gone to so many churches and I've, I've tried to try all these different religions. When I walked into this church, he said, I don't know what happened. I start to weep. I just start before the Lord. And God broke my heart, and I knew this was the, way, the one. And I gave my heart to Jesus. I said, that's an amazing story. 
the very next month, he went to work. There was an accident. Uh, he, he worked at the shipping uh, station. And one of those big things that he was directing came down and crushed him. Came, uh, came to the Lord in February, uh, joined the church in March, and went home to be, the, be with the Lord in all three months. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And so if, you, if you've not yet asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes and to say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. And I acknowledge that you are my mighty God. That you put your power on display through the birth of your son, Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Dear Father, that in his selfless sacrifice, he didn't die for his sins. He had none. He died for my sins. Today, I repent of my sins. I turn from doing things my own way and acknowledge you as my Savior and my Lord and I commit my life to you with every head bowed and every eye closed if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it and you meant it only those who meant it just slip up your hand and say Pastor Rick I pray I ask Jesus to come into my life I see your hand anybody else I ask Jesus to come into my life there's no one's looking around Thank you, Jesus. It's talking here. If those who are listening online as well, listen, I don't have to see you. God sees you. And God sees that your hand, that you're serious. The Bible says in the moment that you've asked Christ to come into your life, your life passes from death to life. And so we rejoice with you. Father, thank you for everyone who's committed, recommitted lives to you. Today we give you thanks and we give you praise for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, amen. amen and amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already, and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.